Welcome to the Elite Game Developers Podcast, a podcast about the entrepreneurs and investors who are building the games companies of the future. Today I'm talking with Josh Nielsen, who is the co-founder and CEO of Eastside Games out of Vancouver. Eastside Games is an independent game studio, and they're a very special games company in everything that they do. On their website, they say that we take pride in doing things differently and embrace having a unique player base. This attitude allows us to be so much more than just a game studio. We're a place where people come not just to work, but to live, laugh, play and grow. We create products that encourage laughter and community. Let's hear more about the road of building Eastside Games from Josh himself. Hi, Josh. It's great to have you in the show. Been hey, a while since we've talked. Me. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. Hello from Vancouver, BC, in Canada. How are you guys doing there? Really, really good. I think a lot of people in the industry are feeling the same way as me, where we're doing half the time in a in our studio and the other half of the time in an airplane. So I just came back from the licensing exhibit, and then I had. Uh, E3 and another couple small shows in between. We have uh, lots of other shows upcoming, uh, sort of what we call conference season, right? Yeah. Were you were you running just a while ago? I saw on Twitter that you were on a doing some running stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very poorly. I, I call it Run Club, and oh. it because I, this is my number one takeaway for any people running game studios. You got to have some sort of, uh, you have to gamify all the work you do on the road. So my deal is if I have more than three beers on the road at night, I have to run five kilometers the next day. Okay. <laughs> so I'd be doing a lot of running. <laughs> and oh, it's a multiplier because the, the more that you, the more beers you have, or a drink counts as one beer as one yeah. unit the more that you have the harder it is to do the 5k the next day before you have to do it first thing in the morning so you have to wake up six or seven in the morning and run and i never ran before in my life but i figured it's a good <laughs> game way to do it on the road that's you know I, I was kind of similar topic i i think this this is like related that because i was reading the 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 book uh why we sleep from matthew walker about like it's a really good book and I got super scared of not sleeping enough and stuff. But the thing that he points out as a scientist that you don't actually get anything back from the previous day. If you kind of like, you know, if you had a bad night, you can't sleep it back. So the, the kind of the damage has been done. So I, I don't think your, your running is, if that's in the same kind of like area, it doesn't yeah. really help. <laughs> But you're starting the day better. I will say I feel better about myself. And um, I would say like, uh, you know, doing this whole startup thing, I've been in the industry, I think I'm going on 16 or 17 years in startups and games combined. That yeah. uh, it's, you need something to ground yourself and to have, to unplug. And so running, I have a playlist I listen to or uh, I listen to a podcast and it's just me uh, and one very simple role of you go as far as you can and then you go back to your location. But it's a good way to ground yourself. I'd say the first three or four years of doing this, I didn't have anything like that and it just accumulates and adds up. It doesn't fix anything, but it's a way to reset, especially when you're doing... I don't think people realize that don't do their own biz dev, how intense that is to start at six in the six or seven in the morning with meetings and go till 2 a.m. meeting and pitching and talking and having this bravado of everything's awesome and why you site games is so good and then you're just you're deflated you have nothing left in you so the run kind of resets it it kind of really helps out mm. yeah it's also something you can look forward to once you get into it if someone really wants your business, I say, well, you can meet me for the run in the morning. You could always have that meeting spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it makes sense. Hey, uh, let's get into the meat of the, the kind of the discussion here. I, I wanted to kind of like go back in history and hear kind of how you got into to the game industry and how you eventually founded 
East side games. Sure. Uh, so we started back in 2011, started with uh, 12 people, uh, and we were making primarily Facebook games back then. Uh, we had farming game, we, our big game was pot farm, and we were making sort of counterculture farming games. And we grew that to, I think it ended at 14, 15 million installs back in the days of Facebook. And then um, we grew from there, um, kind of just being more web developers uh, and then pivoting to mobile a few years later uh, and growing the studio. Our next phase would have been uh, 40 people. We stayed at 40 people for a while for a few years and then we went to 50 people and then uh, Probably uh, last year, the year before, we're now at around 100 people with two studios. One here and one in Nanaimo that works on all of the, the farming games. And then here at Eastside Games in Vancouver, we've now pivoted to work on only narrative-based idle games uh, like Trailer Park Boys, which is our biggest hit. And uh, so we kind of grew from no installs and not able to really do the growth hacking and buy installs because of content to where we are today with, with 44 million players and growing uh, 100 plus people and bootstrapped are profitable. Right. How did you know that you want to do a games company? What was the moment like? So I started in games at working for somebody at Relic. I started in IT doing that. And I really just decided I wanted to work in tech. I actually went back to school in... Uh, I'm a university dropout from like a really, really small town in uh, Canada, northern Canada, halfway from Vancouver to Alaska is a little town called Prince George. I'm from a smaller town from that that only 200 people live in. And I worked in hospitality so I could travel all my life, like hotels and stuff like that. And then I decided I want to go back to school and uh, when I was almost 30 and uh, learn how to make websites and be a front-end developer. Uh, so I did that and doing that I thought hey, I already do this It'd be great to be like a web developer in uh, for a video game company because I didn't I, I Didn't really think I could do that, but the company was the uh, industry was booming here while tech was kind of softening um, Because I graduated around 9-11 where no one was hiring but game companies were still booming So I just got my foot in the door that way worked in IT worked in production uh, And then I just decided to stick with it and uh, the kind of like the people, people around you found the right people to start the company. It was the kind of like a stars aligned moment or kind of how was that situation? It was like, we need to do this now. Yeah, it was a, uh, the two other founders, uh, Jason Bailey and Galen Aiken, they had this game studio they were working on that they were uh, making these really quick Facebook MySpace games and putting it out and they want somebody to handle sort of the production studio management that side of thing like yeah. making the games uh, There were more from creative and business side uh, So I came on first as a as a product owner to do that and then later uh, They basically asked if I would want to go in with I guess sweat equity and run the studio and uh, That's how we kind of started out and then I reached into my network and I hired uh, a whole bunch of people that I knew to come on board and help me um, and find some really smart people to help us grow the team, move to a new studio and kind of grow from that. So everything we do here at Eastside Games, it's kind of very uh, budget conscious, gritty, um, bootstrap style. We didn't, we didn't raise anything. Jason put in um, some money that he got and uh, we all had money from the old studio that we were moving over so we all put in a little bit of money and then we just kind of lived off of that while our game was was making money so the good thing was that we have never had to deal with raising around the bad thing is is as a ceo now i have no idea what that means some people are like pitch decks and raise around i've never made a pitch deck i have no idea how to make them i have no idea how to talk about money i know i have, I have none of that thing so um, uh, I don't have any of those skills and I can't talk about any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's something to, to learn in later in life. Then. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
Hey, uh, it would be great to hear more about the, the way that you guys make the games at Eastside Games. Like, how, what's the kind of like the idea creation process and how do you validate from there what you're going to be doing? Sure, I'll tell it in two parts. The first part was how we did it for the first seven years of the company. Yeah. And what we did for that is we would get everyone in the studio, regardless of position, has the ability to pitch a game and to make that. From that, we've made a board game, we've made an idle game where you have to take care of cats, we've made uh, the uh, Pop Farm Grassroots, um, we've made all these games through people just standing up and saying, I want to pitch this game and do this. Ah. So we wanted to take that one step further. So what we've been doing for the past year is we've been in kind of a build, uh, we've been focusing on building. And instead what we've made is a framework that you can put either an IP or your own IP on top and you can make a really fun narrative idle game. And why we wanted to do that is we saw in the market that everyone's focusing on games for gamers or games for casual and we wanted to make games that everyone could play. And we see more and more people are coming into the market with these amazing devices and they just want, they're, they're less, they don't identify themselves as gamers. Even some of our players that have played a hundred plus hours are like, I'm not a gamer. Yeah. I like playing your app. And, but they want to relive uh, their favorite TV or movie shows and they want more content in it. So in playing our game through the, Live events, you can relive an entire season of Trailer Park Boys in, in five or ten minutes, or you can play for the big prize, which will be a beloved character or item from the series that you can now collect. So we're trying to bring what we think is also missing is that for IP games, that fan experience. So mm. what fans really want to win is more content or or stuff from the universe they'd never seen before. How do they explore that? Like imagine if you made a Star Wars game and instead you talked more about, about what happens with your most beloved character about like, I want to learn more about Boba Fett and what happens with Boba Fett and we can do that in an idle game. Can you tell more about like, how do you do the validation? Yeah. Uh, so now that we're now that we're just making idle games, so we have Trailer Park Boys out. Um, we are soon to launch. Uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, which is one of our most beloved shows, and we like that. And we're also working with another studio, Kano Apps, to make Fubar, uh, uh, Just Giver, which is based on a sort of uh, uh, rocker type characters. It's a beloved Canadian movie. It's super hilarious, and we're working on it with co-developing another studio to work with our technology to do that. Yeah. Um, what we kind of look for is IPs that have very, very cult following. So we want to find IPs where people would identify themselves with the IPs. So you ask somebody, what, what do you do in life? Or like, it's nice to meet you. What do you do? And they say, I love hockey. Uh, I like... Uh, eating pizza and I love the trailer park boys. It's one of the three things that they really like. And so um, uh, we try to find more stuff like that to validate it. And then what we do is we have a team here where we play test it. So we get a prototype out quickly. We play it and we see if it's fun. And specifically what needs to be fun, I think in a game is of course the core loop, but also does it feel like uh, progression feels fun. Does it feel like live events would be fun? Does it feel like what you're collecting matters and adds value? Um, can you see somebody spending hours and hours playing this game? And this is like what they do on the weekend. Mm. When you're playing games, you're competing with people's most precious resorts, which is time. So can you see somebody wanting to check into this game uh, to get their multipliers and to play it? multiple times over the weekend versus um, uh, binge watching Netflix or watching the basketball game or watching the hockey game or going outside, like do you, or seeing a movie, would you, you're competing with those. So do you have enough content and meat in your game that people are going to want to explore that? Yeah, that's a really good approach. Then, then you have the game team working on the game. Can you, 
detail like how you organize the teams is it like very flat or do you have like team leads or owners or some some sort of like hierarchy there so this is the biggest thing that's changed in gaming in gaming for us in the past you know eight years and i've been in gaming for about 10 years, this is the biggest thing that's changed. You kind of have two different teams now. One of the teams is the game, is the team that builds the game. And that's, you know, sort of a the typical lead engineer and uh, lead artist and designer and producer. And then the, the QA and community to support them. And, and now we have writers and there's a whole bunch of other people making the game. So that's one thing. And they, they make the game as per the vision uh, uh, and forge forward. We try to really, uh, the studios that I love that make it are a lot of the Finnish studios like Supercell uh, mm-hmm. and uh, in the UK, Space Ape, how they just let the team run with it and we kind of have a, a light that they have to get to, but they're going to know if it's fun or not and let them build the game. Where there's a lot more structure and management is in the live ops now. So now, and the biggest challenge I think independent studios face is you have to be able to uh, quickly assess and see if your game, if your team that built the game can also do live ops because it's sometimes not the same people. The live ops people have to really worry about getting out the event and making sure it's fun, making sure the game's KPIs are hit, working closely with marketing and acquisition to make sure that the users that are coming in are valid and having fun working with community to make sure uh, the community concerns are, are, are uh, addressed. So it's almost like I always look at what I used to do in hospitality. It's like one team is building the restaurant and then the other team is going to be actually running a busy restaurant mm. and the people that build it are going to have to come in from time to time and renovate it and, and um, fix things or build on an addition because there's more people and do that. But the live ops people are really the, are they're really different people. And I think that's great in the industry that we're getting, it's kind of becoming two different ways that we have to do things uh, because it provides different opportunities for management and leadership in both of those. It's like you got the live ops there going on. So it's kind of, you have a game where you have players coming in and, you know, not every day is easy. Uh, can you can you go kind of like behind the scenes and what does it look like on a, a good day and a bad day? <laughs> so for I'll, I'll talk about live ops for our game Trailer Park Boys, uh, which uh, is uh, our big hit. I think it's a pretty big hit for uh, an independent studio. We were uh, top five game in the US and top app in Canada on launch. And then we made it to top 100 in game in a hundred countries. And right now, the interesting thing about live ops games is the last year of Trailer Park Boys, uh, it just had its two year birthday. I mean, the last two months, uh, we've had the biggest months yet. Yeah. So we have the most content, we have the same amount of players, but players are finding more and more having more and more fun, playing way more, watching more ads, spending more money because we're having a lot more content and a lot more engagement with the players. So a typical week would look like uh, it's all about scheduling and people getting ready for the next round of players coming in. And how we kind of do that is set times for events. So that's another thing that's really changed in gaming is players really want you to get on a schedule and much like television, you have to adhere to that schedule. So if you're in an event ready at two o'clock on Thursday, you have to make sure at 1.59 it's double checked and you're ready to go live. You're running a live show and it has to go up because people are interrupting their lives to start at two. If you start at 2.30 or three o'clock, um, they're gonna be very angry because they've, they've, they're getting ready for their show to start, right? Can you imagine if Game of Thrones started five minutes later? People would lose their minds, right? That's the same with with our players. They're very passionate, and they expect us to start on time and get it out. So I would say a typical week is really about uh, constant planning, constant negotiation to see what can go out to the event, what can't go out, what we might have to, what we can cut, sometimes what we can add. Um, There's lots of coordination to go with community so they can do a live stream to hype up the event and talk about it. 
and for players to get prepped up. So they need to know what, what, um, uh, how many, uh, how much of the currency they have to get ready for, or like what's the best strategy and when they're going to start and their leaderboards and start trash talking their friends and all that stuff. And then I would say when it goes bad is if there's a delay in any, in any sort of event that goes out, then we have to really get all the teams to come together to try to come up with a solution for this uh, going out. And that's, that's a new thing in live ops because before we kind of just, here we would just add, we would just have releases. So now we have to have releases, but then plus we also have to have uh, weekly events, which aren't releases, but to the players, I think it just looks like releases as well. So there's kind of people playing on two or three streams of play versus just the one linear play with some PVP. When those challenges happen, how, how do you guys handle them? Uh, I think one of the things that we do really well here at Eastside Games is we hire people that are up to the challenge uh, to deal with difficult situations. So we hire people that are really uh, are, we just have to do this for another uh, uh, BC Tech Association. We had to define our company culture in three words and we picked authentic, compassionate and grit, which is work ethic. So we try to make sure everyone has those three things when they start here. And I think that's been really important because we really have a culture of uh, autonomy and how you have to own a problem and you have the power to solve this. Uh, And so I'm very confident we don't need, I don't need to be in the office uh, anymore to make that call and somebody else can make that call, which is a, a big learning point from when you're 12 to when you're 40. I think you still do that, but when you're, 100, you you absolutely can't be the bottleneck anymore. You just have to get out of the way because you have no clue about how the workings of your game are anymore. There's no way you do. Yeah. Thinking about like your role there, uh, you must be constantly getting pulled into different kind of things and you know you need to make decisions and stuff. What's your uh, leadership style like? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Leadership style. I think I, my leadership style is I hire smart people and I let them make the decisions because that's kind of how I learned to lead. I, like I said, I was a college dropout, not because of choice, just because of um, that was where I was at in life. And I do plan on going back to university and getting my degree one day. Uh, but uh, that's just how. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like blue collar working, get it done. There's no problem uh, too too big to solve. So I think I try to step out of people's way and support them and and get that done. I think a lot of people appreciate that. I think it's probably very frustrating as well if I'm your leader because I just assume you're going to work with that same one foot forward style that I do. So that's something I'm working on as well too to try to grow myself to provide more of a cohesive, uh, like I said before, pitch decks and company vision and stuff like that. Instead, we've been a little bit more like uh, a motley, we're a little bit more run like Motley Crew here sometimes, where it's just like a whole bunch of people thrown together and we're, we're just trying to figure it out. Uh, but in the other sense, I think our, our fans, that's maybe why our fans stick with us for seven, eight years is because they're like, you know, these guys, these guys are a bunch of fuck ups and we are too. So we love these games <laughs> <laughs> so they can actually see that. And I think uh, when you're defining your, your company culture, you really, you, you can't fake it, right? Like you are who you are. And I think that's authenticity. Uh, people can see that within a minute they can say, okay, I get it. And we've always had that with our fans. Our fans have always been, uh, I don't care if your game's broken uh, and we're having problems with it. We're going to tell you that, but we're still going to spend money because we want to support you and we like how you're trying to make a difference and you're not trying to be, we're, we're not trying to be the next big studio. We want to compete with them, but we want to be ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's very, very good. Like, if you, like talking about the, uh, 
the area, the corner of the world where you guys are in British Columbia. Do you think there's a difference in the games companies, how you guys work there compared to the other other parts of the world? Yeah, for sure. Uh, we are the second biggest gaming cluster in all of Canada, in BC, uh, and Quebec is the first. Uh, and uh, we really, because we're so on the West Coast, uh, we have to really make sure that we're always fighting to for everyone to look at us. But we really feel like our work ethic and the quality of studios we have here is the best in the world. We have, the narrative you still hear about Vancouver is the game studios are closing and that's totally not the case anymore. That was the case eight years ago when Rockstar and Ubisoft left. But since then, now we have a whole bunch of game studios that are owned by local owners that uh, want to keep the jobs in the game studios in Vancouver and want to grow. Uh, there's so many here that are are bootstrapped or profitable. And we also have a huge mobile cluster now, which other areas in Canada don't. I bet you we have the biggest mobile cluster with Indies and Big. We have, uh, you know, Kebab and Ayugo, mm. Session, right. Thinking Ape and Hothead. And there's a whole, every time I do this list, I always forget three people and they're always pissed off because I forgot them. But we have a whole bunch, like our, our we have 5,900 people right now working in BC in game studios. And so we're growing really, really fast. Well, what's your kind of advice for a you know small community, let's say a, a city where you know you might have a university, but you don't really have a gaming scene. There's no startups. What's the advice for those kind of folks from you, that what you take from BC? So the best thing, uh, the first, I'll give you another piece of advice for being a CEO. Uh, Everyone is smarter than you, so just steal their ideas. Um, yeah. That's my best advice. And when I went and I visited you in Finland at the uh, Supercell fan event, uh, Games First. Yes. I think that was the first one, too. I uh, went to that one, and um, I loved how all the Finnish companies were meeting and talking. And not only were they meeting and talking at a bar, but Supercell said, um, we will host people in our office uh, and you could come by and you could talk and, and everyone was just openly talking and sharing information. And once you start doing that, you realize that the information that you had really isn't, they're not really going to do anything with that information. It's just something as a community, you have to share and continue to talk and grow. If someone gets bigger in the community, it helps everyone. You're not competing with people in your community. You're competing with other people. Actually, I always say to everyone in our community, come out to this because we have to find a way that we can beat Finland. Finland is our enemy. We have to beat Finland. Vancouver versus Finland. And then, yeah. and then people rally around that because they're like, yeah, look at this is a relatively small community, but with, with some amazing world-class studios that are competing uh, with a, such a small population amount, how are they able to be globally competitive? And a lot of that's just in the sharing and people giving back to the community, which uh, you need to do. So my advice for that, the, you know, the practical advice from that is find a sponsor. If you can't self-sponsor, we sponsor parties all over the world uh, at all the game conferences we go to through Indie Power uh, and find a game, local game company or put $200 down yourself at a dive bar, get everyone out and say free drinks and then just say, let's just meet each other and let's start talking. And once you schedule it and do it like once a month, people will start showing and it'll start growing. And that's, that's really the best thing you could do as an entrepreneur is just talk to other people um, because you get to uh, learn and give back and realize you're not alone in this. And other people are going through the same things that you're going through. And everyone is there at the end of the day, especially in games to help. Yeah, that's good advice for sure. It sounds like I'm a hippie just because I'm from Vancouver, but I really believe that, yeah, <laughs> that well, we can all uh, help each other a little bit more. There's good cause there for, you know, rallying for something. So uh, let's talk about you a bit more. <laughs> like, how, how, like, when, 
as you're a CEO, how much how much should a games company CEO actually be involved in the games development? Like the actual, like, you know, being there, making those games and how, when should they be like less involved, basically take that to zero or close to zero? What's your thoughts? Uh, I think it depends on where you're at in success in the studio, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I don't, if you are bootstrapped and you're a CEO of a company and there's eight people, you probably have other jobs that you do and you're just doing CEO because it doesn't be a big distraction for the team. But for myself, I play our games, I love our games, I give feedback on our games, um, but I hire the best people in the world to get to where we need to be. I think my core job is to make sure that that we have work opportunity lined that lined up for a year from now. We have the best people on the teams to build those games and to make sure they're out and that we make sure that uh, our fans are being heard at all points and that we're listening to those. So those are the three things that, that I'm focusing on as well. Um, a fourth thing I kind of, I focus on is sort of, Uh, our branding and our charity, our biz dev, that sort of stuff to make sure that that our core values are are out there. The reason why I wanted to move into the role of CEO uh, was I was doing the operation stuff and then I really feel like we can make a difference with this company and we could change stuff. Um, we can not only just with our players and in the people that work on our company, but we can just change how companies are operated in, in the world, in our small, unique little way. It doesn't have to be all the same. And then the other thing that I really do as a CEO is I, I give a lot of, of my time for mentorship. So people come to Eastside Games, they work, they go to someplace else, continue to mentor them or stay in touch. And then, Hopefully one day they'll start their own company and it could kind of steer them on the right path. Um, hopefully they want to work with us in CoDev uh, or maybe they don't and they'll just add to the BC ecosystem. So I'm trying to, the same what happened to Eastside Games where a lot of us came from Relic and our other founders from Radical. We came from these console PC development shops and started the mobile game shop. Um, that's probably what's going to happen now with all of these world-class mobile studios and Vancouver, people are going to leave and start their own shop. So we have to be there to to support them and grow them because this is our our next grassroots wave of people coming out in in BC making who knows what the next games will be, who knows what the next platform will be. Um, but it's all additive and great for great for everyone. Mm. Like on the the mentoring coaching bit, like that's super awesome. You're involved in that did you yourself have like coaches or mentors when you were transitioning into being a startup ceo uh no and i probably should have got some <laughs> but you know our founder he founded uh jason bailey he founded uh super rewards which was the first monetization network for back in facebook and zynga and everyone used them so uh i think Like for myself personally, it was great to work for an entrepreneur like that because it gave me my my bachelor's degree in business or in, or in startups in working for in that or in this organization for eight plus years. I feel like I got that. I probably got a better education than if I just went to be like, go to university and be like, teach me how to be an entrepreneur. I don't know if I would be as accelerated as I am now. Uh, so, so I think that's good. I mean, going through all of those, the day to day of what you need to do um, through the lean and through the bad uh, and through the good, uh, it's, that's really the, what you learn about being an entrepreneur. And the good sometimes even though your company and it's not always just on your, your how many players you have and how much DAU you have or how much money you have in the bank or how much you made today. Those are all just different factors, but that doesn't mean you personally are doing well. Like uh, I just came back from 
GDC. And at GDC, the former CEO of Congregate, Emily Gear, Greer, gave a, uh, a talk, and she just said, uh, I'm paraphrasing now, I won't get it entirely right, but the gist of it is she said, you know, in our best year at the company was also the hardest year for me as CEO, and I had to move forward. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough gig sometimes because you never really know where you're at, right? Like you, some of our best times that we had was when uh, we were trying to, we were 12 people and we were trying to make payroll and, and we barely made it because our game went out and the payment came in just before we had to make payroll. And it was that close and that tight in the bank account, but the morale was as high as it's ever been because people were just pushing to get it done and they didn't care. The time when our game was down and we stayed till three in the morning trying to call a platform to get our game back up and they put it back up and then everyone cheers and goes home and people are super happy and back at work at eight in the morning because we have to also do community on our, our, our game. Um, and those were some of the happiest times. So mm. that's a, that's a tough thing to really gauge where people are at. So that mentoring really goes to tie back into mentoring. That mentoring really helps because I think sometimes just telling your story that you've been there uh, people are like, wow, we're there right now. It can help add context because there's often not many people you can talk about these things with. You don't want to go and just do an all-hands meeting and just say like, hey, I have all these problems as CEO. <laughs> can somebody help me? That's not going to go over very well. Well, you could try it. Like the vulnerability, I think, is like always a good point as well. True, true. Yeah. So like uh, that must not be a typical day where the servers are down and everything's on fire but like what is your typical day what what time do you get to work and how do you get like when you get out out of work how do you wind down yeah i i grew up in the country so i get up ridiculously early i usually get up wake up uh 5:30 or 6 i have a rule that if i ever have to set an alarm to get up to go to a job, I don't want to do that job anymore. And so far I haven't had to set an alarm. So I usually get up at six, spend about an hour with my kid and play some games, uh, either go for a run or go to the gym. And then I go to drop my kid off at school and then I get into work about eight o'clock and then I leave. Uh, we have flex schedule. So I leave anywhere from five, six, seven, I leave then and go home and uh, do typical Canadian stuff, uh, play, play hockey, watch hockey, uh, hang out at home with my kid. Um, try to do, we try to do minimal, we're working on minimal work away from work. We try to do a very intense work day. So we'd like to do a big work day with not a lot of interruptions, no foosball, uh, no climbing wall at work, no one cutting your hair at work because we want people to work really hard and tense at work and then and then go home. Yeah, does that work always? Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we're adding more tools that keep us always connected. So I'm very concerned yeah. about that, like this, this slack always on mentality. Um, I don't, these are great tools that can help you work, but they're also, they're also very, it's very addictive, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to really, really watch that as a team. Yeah. Either you're missing out on something if you're not looking at Slack. Yeah. Yeah. What, what games are you playing at the moment? I am playing the new game from Redemption Games, which was just uh funded by supercell called sweet escapes ah. so i'm playing that it's good a great plane game that i'm playing is uh cribbage with grandpa it is so relaxing it feels like i think a new type of game that's really going to hit it that is amazing are these games that are just calming and relaxing so this game is all about playing crib cribbage with your grandpa. And all you're doing is playing cards and you just keep playing a simple game over and over 
with oh. some chatter in between with your grandpa. It's just amazing. I'm playing those two games and a whole bunch of idle games. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've been playing Trailer Park Boys now a bit. So it's nice, a big no event. <laughs> big event happening Thursday. Yeah. You know, oh, with Trailer Park Boys, yeah. the funniest thing that, that I never thought would happen is guest stars really drive that game uh, engagement and and people love it so our biggest events we've ever had have been celebrity guest stars sebastian bach off of formerly of uh, skid row has been one of our biggest events tom green steve jessup we have another couple that we're going to be doing but those guest stars really really uh drive excite and delight players uh they really want to earn those special characters to put in the game and to keep them as a badge of honor so we're really we're going to be doing more of that because fans seem to just love it wow definitely want to get more of those characters for sure have you had any scary moments as an entrepreneur like where you actually thought that now this is it that that company will fail has has This hasn't been that bad. You mentioned the payroll issue, but has there been even worse situations? Yeah, I mean, I think I would say the scariest was in the start where you really have a lot of the knowledge is shared in key people and you're not documenting the knowledge. And then you have the awkward situation of you stick with somebody in your culture that maybe doesn't fit your culture, but you decide to stick with them because you're scared that if they leave, you'll never be able to recover. And so it creates a very toxic culture quickly because you can't let them go. And some disciplines can influence that a lot more, but we've had that a couple times where we had to say, let's figure this out on our own and let people walk or move on. And it hasn't happened a lot and i'm sure it's pretty common but it's something we like to be open and honest about about talking and this was very very early on but um those were the very difficult situations about figuring that out where you have to really look at as an entrepreneur uh, at your team and say i always say your team is only on loan to you they're not there they don't have the same they'll never have the same drive as founders and that's okay Uh, but you really have to plan for that. You really have to have your two-week or four-week plan for everyone because life is more important than your job. And at any point, somebody could decide, hey, my parents are sick. I just can't work here anymore. I have to do this. I want to go backpacking. You have to plan for that. You can't expect them to stay forever. So our scariest moments, I think, were in the early stages where we didn't have any of that plan. Mm. And now, as an entrepreneur, I'm constantly thinking about that, about like, Well, what's my plan B if if this happens? Or what's my plan C if this game goes down? Um, so I'd say the scariest moment would be in the early stages and we had to move on from some key people and then just pick up the pieces and try to figure it out. Yeah. And those were some hard weeks to kind of sell that to the team and try to figure that out. And then, you know, that's when we actually put pen to paper and say, hey, these are our these are our core values. Let's let's put them on the wall and let's make sure we interview everyone uh, based on these core values. Yeah. That's super good advice. When are you the happiest? I think I'm happiest. I actually really like work. So I'm happiest when Uh, I can get into work and I'm here and uh, I feel like I can add value to people that are doing their job and I can help them. And so that's what makes me really happy is if I can say, okay, well, I've solved, I've helped solve this problem for you. Um, now you're not blocked anymore and you could continue to work on that. Uh, so that makes me really happy. And uh, also to, talk to people that are thinking about getting into games uh, and are unsure about what they can do to kind of share my story with them. I think uh, I used to, that may, used to make me 
very awkward to talk about that. But now I get a lot of, I still feel awkward, but then afterwards I feel really good because it feels like I've helped them in a little way. So they might think, oh, that makes sense. That you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to be an engineer or an artist or a producer or have a degree in finance to work in games and to be successful. You have to have drive and passion and be willing to step in and do whatever needs to get done uh, and focus. And, and you can do a lot. You might not be the best, but you can definitely make a difference and do a lot. That's great. I'm going to jump into the final questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is your favorite book and why? I have a great book that everyone should read, and I'm guaranteed most people probably haven't. It's the Andre the Giant comic. It's called Andre the Giant Life and Legend. It's a nonfiction comic, and it's amazing because it tells about the entire story of Andre the Giant and that he was born with this, with this challenging disability where he never stopped growing, but then how he turned that around in his life to to do something with this. And it's just a great, easy to read uh, nonfiction comic that you can get that you should read. And the second one you should read is, uh, uh, that I'm reading right now is uh, The Ideal Team Player by Patrick Lencinio to this one. So, uh-huh. It's pretty good. It basically just tells about how to, how to build a team with three essential simple values. Wow. Um, And on books too, the one thing that I read a couple of years ago that blew my mind about books is we have this weird notion we have to read a book from cover to cover, but I read about five or six books per month, but I never finish them. And it's okay not to. So you should just, as long as you continue to read and read a little bit of uh, a whole bunch of books, then um, uh, you should just keep doing that to learn from that. But those are the two I'd recommend. Good ones for sure. I just uh, there was a documentary last year about Andre the Giant. I think. Yeah, it's amazing. You should watch that too. Yeah, I need to check it out again. Uh, hey, biggest lessons learned as games com- games company founder. I would. You can't overplan your. You can't overplan enough for your next game. And so you have to look at everything in terms of what revenue you have right now, what does your, uh, how much money you have in the bank, um, uh, what you're going to need, what you're going to need for your next launch and sort of what does your live ops roadmap look like for five or six months. And you really got to look back on that. And it's still surprising about how many people that I meet where one of their one of their things that they're pushing towards uh, that they have is a feature. Like you have to plan on no one helping you. You have to plan on you doing it all yourself. And if any of those other things come in, then that's a that's icing on the cake, but you got to make sure that you have the cake first or you have no icing without a cake. It's just a stomach ache. There you go. That's my, that, that, that's my quote for the day. <laughs> Good. Uh, what keeps you up at night? Um, I would say now as a hundred people, it's just more about personnel stuff. So it's trying to solve the personality, uh, uh, problems you have, challenges you have when you have a hundred people in two studios and then all the contractors that work on that, all those relationships, all those people. So I think a lot of it's more people stuff and what really helps with that, but it's also a challenge to my home life is an, an immense amount of travel needed to do the face-to-face to bridge those gaps. So we're working with co-development deals, we're working with internal people, we're working with platforms, none of which are in Vancouver. So there's a lot of challenge to do those face-to-face meetings. And so kind of planning the logistics of that and making sure that we really stick to, you know, we want to We want to get shit done, but we want to also make sure that we handle things that were kind when we do it. And we want to make sure that everyone we work with kind of adheres to these things. So I think that takes a lot out of 
me personally, and that's what that's what keeps me up at night. So, final one. What do you see? Where do you see Eastside Games in the next five years? What's the the mission and the plan? Five years is a long time, but I'll give you three years. Because uh, if I said five years ago, I'd say we're building a. Uh, I'd say we're building blockchain three D printers uh, with cryptocurrency. That's what we're doing <laughs> in VR. <laughs> like, yes, that sounds great. Here's some investment. Um, so we're really going to focus on. We really believe that narrative idle games can add a lot to people that don't identify themselves as gamers. Uh, and gamers as well are in that, but there's a there's a huge amount of people that want to play these types of games. There's a lot of great IPs that we can put on the games, or we can put in an idle game and put that out there. So in the next three years, you're going to see uh, a whole bunch of games, a dozen games coming out from Eastside Games and Partners that are really going to help define this new storytelling within a game. And it's really funny because a couple of years ago, I always thought as somebody in tech and as a gamer that nobody reads the narrative content in games much as I always used to think people turn down the sound as soon as they play a game. But that's really not the case. And people are really consuming a lot of that content. So we're going to be able to tell more stories. And you're going to see us become the leader in in that sort of, uh, we call it, uh, the, when you, you're going to watch, you're going to watch the show, you're going to play the game, you're going to read the comic, or you're going to read some stuff on forums online, and then you're going to go back into that sort of entertainment circle. So you're going to see it blurring between games and entertainment, and you're going to see a lot more launches of games and uh, movies, bands, TV shows uh, at the same time, and be additive in the universe. So we're going to create a lot of these universes to supplement the known content that you love. And that's our mission for the next two or three years is to, is to really drive that and create that. Great. And then the beach after that, and then I'm just going to go to, I'm going to go to the uh, Helsinki beach and live on a Helsinki beach. That's it. Yeah. We're waiting for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 90 degrees out there or like 20, 27 degrees Celsius. So it's, um, it's been a hot day today. Nice. Yeah, uh, let's keep in touch, man. And thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I uh, I am long overdue for a trip to Helsinki, so I'll see you soon, my friend. See you. Thank you. Thanks. Bye, bye. That's it for this week's episode. But please visit our website at elitegamedevelopers.com where you will find my book on starting and building a games company. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, because we have a lot of great episodes coming your way this year. So make sure you hit subscribe. It's going to be awesome. See you next time. Bye-bye.